Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Brandon Cox is here to share with us this morning. Brandon is the missionary lead pastor of uh, Grace Hills Church. He's been meeting in the area for the past few years, so we'll let him share about that. Um, but it's just been really neat to see that. Brandon was the pastor at Bethel Baptist Church in Bentonville before going to California for a short time, and then he's back in the area, and God's been using him and his congregation in a great way. And so we're excited to hear from him today. Before we get into this time of, of hearing from Brandon, uh, we do want to mention Josh Portner. Ask that you be praying for him. He was in a car accident last night. Um, he is physically okay. Uh, all the tests have come back. Uh, they're well, but he has a concussion, so he keeps asking the same questions over and over again is what, uh, what Roland was telling me. So you be praying for him. Um, but let's go ahead and start our time together with just a word of prayer, and we'll turn it over to Brandon. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for how you're working in our world, and we just ask that you help us to be light in this dark world. And Father, I'm so thankful uh, for how you're working in our community and around the world. And uh, just in these next few moments, as we hear from Brandon, Help us open up our hearts to how we can get involved um, with our neighbors, with those that are around us, those that we work with. And God, um, we do want to lift up Josh. Uh, we just ask that you be with him today as he recovers. Uh, keep your hand on him. And Father, uh, we just ask that you show your presence here. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brandon? Good morning. It's, um, it's a real honor and a privilege to be here sharing with you guys today. This uh, temple has been a, um, a church that I've kind of loved from a distance for a long time. We, back years ago, had come for an ordination service and been here for associational services, and then we got snowed out one Sunday, so we brought a bunch of families over one Sunday and worshiped with you. So it's been a, just a good church with leaders and um, I'm so thankful for this chance just to be here with you guys. Uh, the Sunday school time and the worship time, uh, I may overlap. So if you hear things in the worship hour that you heard just now, just smile pretending that you didn't know, okay? And, and everybody around, you'll be the insider secret holder. Uh, I wanted to just kind of share with you a little bit about our, our story. And again, I'll share some of this in the next hour, but just kind of share with you the, the journey that we've been on, this is World Mission Sunday, so we get to talk about churches multiplying and spreading and being planted all over the world, and uh, I'm, this is something that I'm really, really uh, passionate about and feel very strongly about, that there just never seem to be enough churches in the world and in the community uh, around us, um, and that one of the things that we see evidence of is that in communities where churches are being planted, there's sort of a noticeable difference that is often made in those communities in terms of people who were far from God, who didn't have a relationship with Jesus, coming to know Jesus. And so it's, uh, I, I sort of call it God's plan A for missions, for reaching the world. And, and the reason I say that is because I think when you look at the New Testament and you see all of the problems that exist in the world, God's ultimate, eternal solution for those problems is the gospel of Jesus. And the one and only mechanism that he put on earth to get that good news of the gospel out to everyone was the local church. Uh, there was no plan B. There's no second string organization. There's nothing else that competes with 
the local church in terms of sharing the gospel with everybody. So I really want to talk to you about that a little bit, uh, but first just kind of share our story. I'm, I'm a Kentuckian by birth and by upbringing, and my wife was kind of all over. Angie, she's up here with me. Uh, she kind of grew up in northern Illinois and Texas and everywhere in between, uh, everywhere except out in the country, and uh, just kind of all over the place. And so we met in high school, and I was a senior, she was a junior. We were about seven lockers apart, but didn't know each other until somebody introduced us, and uh, I kept pursuing her and asking her to go out with me for like nine years or something, and uh, a few months later she said yes, and, and kind of the, the rest is history. Um, the, the funny thing about my own background is that I had grown up in church, a very, uh, very traditional Bible-believing church, uh, but we quit when I was about 12. The church experienced problems, and we quit going and didn't go anywhere else, just stayed home. And I didn't go to church again until I met Angie. And her dad was a pastor uh, of the only BMA church in Kentucky. And uh, there was this little rule that if you're going to date my daughter, you've got to go to church somewhere, preferably <laughs> here. So, so I did and, uh, and fell in love with it. And God used that time to begin, I think, to deal with both Angie and I about ministry and about the future and about how we would share our lives together. And so we moved to Conway, went to CBC for a couple of years. And uh, my desire at the time, I just, I loved the local church and the idea of being a pastor and wanted to do that so badly. I just begged God, let, let me be a pastor as soon as possible. And so when I was 19, the first church called me, and I was probably way too young at the time because I had no idea the things you actually have to deal with. My assumption was when you become a pastor, you really get to teach theology and preach the gospel and everyone has the best of intentions they're just there to get along and we just want lost people to be saved right that's what you guys all want so you assume that every other church wants that uh, but then you find out that we're human beings and as human beings we struggle to relate to each other and that's why families have problems that's why marriages have problems and that's why every church on the planet has issues now and then because we're made up of human beings. But God still has chosen that the local church be this realm in which he gives the gospel out. Now, I want to read a passage to you that you may be very familiar with already, but it, it, it kind of shares my heart a little bit about the role of the local church. And I'll come back to our story in just a second. In Matthew 16, the Bible says in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. It's a tremendous uh, story that Jesus interacting with his disciples basically says, I want you to know a couple of things that are vitally important and that will never change. And the first is, 
He, he wanted them to know who He was. And I is Jesus, this is who I am, I'm the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. And I want you to know, Peter, that what you think about the church, what you think about me, that that is the rock upon which this church is going to be founded. This, not just the confession, but what was confessed. Jesus as the Messiah and Son of the living God is what it's all about. And on that rock of Jesus Christ, we are founded, and here we are. Um, I think that for me, God's choice of using the church to bring about His purposes in the world is absolutely key to the, to the reason why we uh, took a leap that we did about five years ago. Uh, Angie and I had, had pastored church. I spent eight years at a church in Kentucky, a very wonderful church, and uh, God really kind of taught me a lot and healed me from some of those early difficult experiences. And then we moved to Bentonville, Arkansas, and, and served at, at a, a Bethel Baptist Church on the north end of Bentonville for five years and had great relationships there. And just through a very strange and surprising turn of events and some conversations I never expected, uh, wound up moving to Southern California and, and spent a year there on the staff at a church. And then in the summer of 2011, moved back to start Grace Hills. And when we, when we moved back, it was partly because um, God was using a lot of conversations that were happening around us to remind us of conversations we'd had a decade earlier. Because way back in the year 2000, Angie and I applied to be missionaries then, believing and thinking for a few, uh, a few weeks at least that this is the direction we were going. And uh, the further we got into the process, the more confusing it got. And finally, some good, wise, godly mentors said, you need to slow down and ask if this is the right timing. And we decided this is the right calling, it's just not the right timing. So fast forward a decade, and we've learned all kinds of things, and, and God began to speak to us about church planting, call us to this, to this task. When we looked around at, where, you know, where do you go to, to plant a church, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer that a lot of times a connection with a community is an enormous factor. The ability to love people where you are and understand the people where you are, that's a big part of being able to be a pastor and being a leader. And Angie and I knew of no other place on earth. Now remember, she grew up all over the U.S., everywhere except for here. I grew up in Kentucky, and, uh, but no place had ever felt like home like Northwest Arkansas. And what I knew about Northwest Arkansas was that there are a lot of, of good churches here. Uh, there's several. I don't know if you've driven up and down New Hope, but there's three or 12 or something, right? So there are a lot of, a lot of good churches here, but not enough. There are a lot of churches doing good things, but not quite enough. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there are a thousand families every month that move into, or a thousand people every month, that move into the I-49 corridor, and it just keeps growing. And even when the economy kind of takes a little bit of a hit, people still keep coming. Neighborhoods keep being built. And so Angie and I, as we looked at Northwest Arkansas and, and just prayed, God, how do you want us to do this? Um, we put together a, what we called a vision meeting. Let's just find an office and we'll sort of put the word out that we're going to be starting a new church and see who comes. And we just used Facebook and various other means to meet whoever we could. And then we set up the office that day with rows of chairs and then we stared at the door wondering if anybody's going to come. 
and about 30, 35 people came through the door that day. And they filled out visitor cards. And when they left, we got to looking through those visitor cards at where people had come from. That was one of the questions, where are you from? And we had a family from Boston, and that, that, that particular family had never been to church and didn't own a Bible. But a family from Hollywood, but a family from a man who had grown up in Manhattan, and he's still playing bass guitar for us today, so he'd grown up in New York City. But another family from the Detroit, Michigan area. And it was just this confirmation that while there are great churches here, there are so many people coming from so many different cultures and so many different backgrounds and so many different mentalities that we need a lot more churches, and we even need a diversity of, of approaches to church. Now let me be really clear about something. There is only one gospel by which people are saved. It's the message of Jesus Christ alone. And so the message that is preached here every week is the same message that is preached over there every week. I, I know that because I just steal Wade's notes, you know. And go, but it's the same Jesus, it's the same gospel, it's the same message, um, but we approach things differently. And we reach different people because of that. Uh, a funny example that occurred to me this morning. I, I don't normally dress like this. And it's uh, much more dressed down. And so I, I had this sports coat on. It's the first time I've worn it in four years. And I, I walked into our church and everyone kept saying, man, what's going on? Are we changing? You know, and it was just a different culture. And I'm like, no, it's just you know, preaching across town. So that's where we are. Um, in the last four years, as we've watched what God has done, We've met so many people who either haven't ever been connected with a church or their perception of church is only what they had as a kid. They haven't been since then. Uh, just person after person, family after family, who come from radically different backgrounds, who have tremendous struggles. We keep discovering and, and, and uh, making connections with people that, that I would just describe as very, very broken. And so our theology and our approach is that all are broken. The Bible is clear about that. All of us have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God, and our lives are wrecks and messes because of it. And mine is included in that. We are messy human beings. We are messy people. And so churches often look messy, whether they try to or not, because we're made up of people who have messes on our hands, right? And so our, our goal was, let us take this good news of the gospel of Jesus and as intentionally as possible, find people who are far from God, who may not be familiar with what churches are normally all about, and engage them with a gospel that heals and fixes their heart forever and on into eternity. So that's been our, our goal and our vision. So we, we sort of started building a core group, and six months in, about 70 or 80 people had come along and decided that they wanted to be part of Grace Hills Church when it became a public thing. And so those became the volunteers, the children's workers and the greeters and so forth. And we launched uh, publicly in a movie theater in January of 2012. It's a very strange experience. It was not our intention to start in a movie theater, but we drove by it one day and thought, you know, it's probably empty on Sunday mornings, and, and so we'll just, we'll just use it. So uh, for three years, uh, excuse me, one year in that theater, we set up and tore down every single Sunday. We'd bring in everything you got to have to make it look a little bit like a church and be able to do church there. And then when, uh, when it was over, we had to have it all cleared out by noon. And we did that week after week. And then we moved over to the Pinnacle Theater for three years and spent some time there. 
Um, and, and through the whole time, God just kept bringing people. And people who didn't know Jesus, people were being baptized, uh, people who were on the brink of divorce or just gone through divorce, or people who were struggling with drug addictions, people who were uh, just from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of difficulty and situations, just kept meeting them. And so then in January of this year, uh, back in November, we heard that the building north of here in Rogers was formerly occupied by a church. It was going to be empty. And so they were looking for preferably a church to come lease it, and it worked out. So we moved in in January, and, uh, and when we did, we just seemed to grow even more. On that first Sunday and a couple Sundays later, I think our, our highest attendance this year was 475 people came one Sunday. And it really has been scary because uh, we weren't anticipating that much growth, but also it's scary because you look around and realize that uh, there are a lot of people coming that we don't know now all at once, and we know they're broken too. And they're probably not going to find you know, the truth of Jesus in a healing way just by attending. It's going to take a relationship of some kind. They're going to have to get to know someone who knows Jesus and, and discover Jesus. And so our questions have been uh, along the lines of, of those kinds of things. So... Um, what I'm most excited about is that when we started, we decided from day one to be what we would call a teaching hospital. That while people might be coming with their brokenness to find a relationship with Jesus, we also wanted in the mid middle of that sort of emergency room kind of culture to also be training people who would go out and serve in the kingdom elsewhere. So from day one, the goal was let's plant another church as quickly as as we can in a healthy way. So we brought a young man on for one year as a resident and then sent him to Siloam Springs and he has launched the Journey Church down there and they're meeting in a movie theater now and been having about a hundred people show up every week. So it's been really exciting to watch there as well. And we want to do that again and again and again and again and again. And if we lost everyone today to church planting all around us, that would be a win for the kingdom. And so we just keep looking at it that way. And if, if, if we're going to send someone out to plant a church out of our church, they have to be committed from day one that they are going to plant churches as well. It has to be a, a mentality of multiplying. Uh, now the reason why that's true, again, is because we believe so strongly that the primary answer to the world's problems is found only in Jesus, and the only institution for sharing Jesus is the local church, and so we need more biblical, godly, local churches sharing the gospel, the truth of the gospel, everywhere that we possibly can. A few years ago, I wrote down this quote from Bill Hybels. You might have heard of this before. Uh, I just thought it was a great quote. He said, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. The radical message of transforming love has been given to the church. And we believe that so, so strongly. So, uh, I just kind of want to share a, a thought about that because I know that even those of you who've been in church your whole life 
you've had probably varied experiences with church uh, throughout your throughout your growing up years, throughout your adulthood. You have a different perception uh, of the church, and I want you to to know and to understand that we live in a community that has a certain perception of the church. And I'm not talking about the community as a whole. I'm talking about individuals that live within the community. Many of them perhaps grew up Catholic, or they grew up Protestant, or they grew up evangelical, or whatever, but they grew up in a church that may not look like yours, may not look like mine, and they have all kinds of different experiences and all kinds of different um, feelings and emotions when you say the word church. And for many of them, it's a negative perception, even though we know that the church is a great thing, right? You're here today because you like church. In fact, just raise your hand if you like church. You got to now. Because, uh, but there are a lot of folks in our community that they don't like the church because they don't know yet that they can like it. They don't know yet that it's a community of people that want to love them. They don't know yet that the gospel can change your life forever. They don't know yet how amazing this church family is. And so somehow, some way, we have to kind of break through that barrier and break through that wall and help people understand that in the truth and in the grace that is found in Jesus, there is tremendous eternal life change. I was speaking somewhere recently with a guy named Jim Putman, and, and he was talking about his oldest son, he, he was raised in church, but when he got to about 16, 17, he really just demonstrated this great resistance to church. And he wound up loving his dad and keeping a good relationship there, but when he went away to college, he gave up on the church. He quit going, and he had only negative things to say about it. Uh, and so his dad called him one day, and he said, Son, I want you to know something that's happened back here at the church, and I just want to get your take, get your feedback on it. He says, well, Dad, you know, I don't go to church. I love you, but I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, I understand, but I just want to tell you what's happened. This new family has come, and, uh, and they seem really energetic, and they, they, they really seem to look the part. They, they want to volunteer. They want to work. They want to give and tithe and all those things. Really sweet family. They're great. And I really hope that they you know, become a part of things and volunteer. There's just, just this problem, though. They want me to come over and have dinner with them and hang out with them, but they, they don't like your mom. And they don't want her around when I hang out with them. And he said his son got so defensive. Dad, what are you thinking? Just, you know, sort of a kick these people to the curb. I mean, how, how could you even consider getting close to these people with, and they don't like mom? And, 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 and are you crazy? And finally Jim said, well, son, that's exactly what you're saying. When you say that you love God, you just don't like his bride. And his son now is in church, serving in ministry, and it was a turning point. So I'm convinced that the bride, the church, is a beautiful thing. The, the temple, that other churches in this community are beautiful, wonderful church families, but there's a culture out there that doesn't know it. They don't realize what they're missing. And I think that our, our goal is to uh, kind of share with them the gospel in a way that says, this is for you. This is for you. This is something that, that will absolutely change your life forever. So I wrote down this last big truth. Human beings are messy, imperfect, immature, and selfish. That's us. That's human beings. We are messy, imperfect, immature, and selfish. And we lead the church. We lead the church. So the church is messy and imperfect too. But the amazing thing about the way Jesus has always worked through his church is 
that as messy as we can be, as immature and selfish as we can be, we're always better together. When you take a bunch of messy people, put Jesus in the middle, He can do amazing things with them. He proved that with the twelve apostles that were a ragtag bunch of you know, um, insane people. He used them to start and grow and build a movement that for 2,000 years now has multiplied and sustained, and that's who we are, and I'm convinced we need more of it. So that's what we've been wanting to do, is plant as many more new thriving local churches as possible. Uh, I, I know that we've, we've just got a few minutes here, and I know that uh, from the story to details about planting, uh, one thing I want to do is just take a minute and ask, do you guys have any questions about our journey, about church planting, about anything that I've said, about missions, or anything at all? Uh, a question I can answer. Yeah? <laughs> Anyone want to argue with something I said? That, uh, yes, sir. We are. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that we did early on was adopt uh, Grace Hill Elementary School. So every year, um, there's kind of a uh, there, there's sort of a slate of things that we do. Uh, we're, our primary goal is to serve the faculty and the staff and to help them and just bless them any way that we can. So. At the beginning of the year, you know, teachers a lot of times spend a lot of money on supplies that isn't in the budget, and they spend it out of their pocket. So every year we, we get wish lists from all of them, and we deliver supplies, and we go and do a teacher appreciation meal for them and do that several times a year. And um, uh, throughout the year, we serve families through the school. So in, you know, instead of just giving Thanksgiving baskets to people in our church or something, we, we contact the school, and the counselor usually gives us about 30 family names, and we give them Thanksgiving meals and that kind of thing. It's just been a huge blessing. So that's a big part of what we do every year. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> to, to get people, our primary means of making contact with people from day one was Facebook. And, and I say that because um, now some of you may believe Facebook is the Antichrist. That's okay. But for the other 99% of the people who live in the community that are on there, um, it, it is the most personal and relational way to get the word out about something. And what I mean by that is we decided from day one we wouldn't spend any money on traditional advertising. We didn't run ads in the paper. We didn't mail any postcards, and you're getting a lot of postcards right now of every political campaign and so forth. Uh, we never, never sent a postcard. We would just use relationships. And so what we would do is uh, we would share something that was coming up. This is what we're teaching on this Sunday, or it might be the story of someone's life has been changed. And then people within our core group, so to speak, would share that on Facebook, and it's their friends who are seeing it. And so even when we run an ad or something on Facebook, it's because uh, people respond to it because their friends go there. Their friends like that. And there's this relational connection. So uh, four and a half years later, it is still really, aside from just plain word of mouth, Facebook is really our only other promotional strategy uh, that, that we offer. So I always think about printing invite cards 
like three days before the event, and then it's too late. So Facebook is, is it for us. Yes, sir. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Sunday mornings we have two two services at 9 and 10.45, and so we get a little bit of a break in between. And they're identical services, so same message. And then we use small groups throughout the week. Most of them meet on Sunday night. A few of them meet during the week, but most of them meet on Sunday night throughout the, throughout the community. And then on Wednesday night, we have a student worship time. So they'll come together and have their own uh, worship service and sort of a message, and they break into small groups while they're there. And they go to different rooms. Uh, and even the same thing happens in our kids' ministry on Sunday morning. They have sort of the music and big group time, and then they break into small groups also. So uh, that's kind of our, our, our weekly flow. We don't have a, another worship service during the week. It's just small groups all over the place. What were you going Yeah, um, we are somewhat free and organic with the organization of new small groups. And what we mean is we're looking for people who who are willing not so much to be great Bible teachers yet, but who are willing to open their home. And if someone will open their home or get some co-workers in a break room or whatever it may be, then we will supply them the curriculum and the material that they need to, to lead or host a group. And, uh, and, and we just allow um, as, as many people as possible to start them, and then we come alongside them and coach them along the way. And so we reach out to them and spend time doing coffee with every leader and talking about what they need and where they're at and how they're growing and that sort of thing. And so um, we don't necessarily organize them around uh, age groups per se. Some of them just naturally, it'll be all retired couples that get together or uh, all you know sing young singles that get together. But we don't try to do that. We allow them to be as diverse as they want to be. Uh, some of them are kind of geographical, you know, there's a group out by the lake or a group out in Keith's Cave Springs or wherever. But uh, we, we really would rather our organization just be around the, the content. And the content is, uh, in other words, what they study in small groups is um, when I preach on Sunday, every series, every message that I prepare, uh, Pastor Danny Kirk, our community pastor, he then writes a small group discussion guide based on those messages and it's put out ahead of time, and all those groups can use that. So, whole church is kind of on the same page. And if we're going through a, a, you know, a particular emphasis or study, all the groups and the group as a whole, we're all sort of studying the same thing. So, Anybody else? Oh, Danny. Uh, Danny is Angela's father, um, but he also was the pastor of the church in Kentucky when I started going there, obviously and uh, has just kind of been my mentor all these years. He was a church planner himself uh, back in 1985. I said 81 the other day, and he would like to punch me, but it was 85 that he started. Um, um, it was Northside Baptist Church in Sandwich, Illinois, uh, that long ago. So he used to have articles in the Gleaner and whatnot. And uh, now he's, he's spent 16 years in um, Florissant, Missouri, I think, and then came down here uh, about a year ago to become our community pastor. So he does a lot of community outreach things and small group things, and, and, uh, and he's preaching today over there instead of me. So, yeah. 
it's sometimes the leader. Um, but, but sometimes we may have someone that, um, we've had cases where somebody that's a new believer and they, they've got some friends that are not in church and they'd love to have them over to their house, but we can sometimes pair them up with somebody that's a leader. Um, some people even ask, I'll open my home, but I ain't talking, you know, that kind of thing. And so we'll, we'll pair them up with a leader sort of thing. But over time, the goal is that everybody that's hosting can become a leader so that the leader in that group can leave and start a new group and that host kind of emerges as a leader over time. So. Worship? Yeah, we don't do we don't do specials. It's more um, everything is kind of grouped. It's uh, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe that. Usually, it's two to three people singing at the same time, and so we feature kind of different people. Um, almost in a rotation, if you will. So there are different people that are part of that, but not necessarily solos or, or specials. And um, they're, uh, they, they kind of show up early on Sunday morning and, and kind of like what we heard here, practice and get ready and, and then lead through both of the services. And then the, the long-term goal is that out of that, we can help emerging worship leaders be ready for church plants or uh, to, to work with youth or kids in the area of worship. So uh, kind of as that worship ministry grows, that you'll have people kind of being raised up through it that can lead another atmosphere. So, Yes and no. Yes in that we, we really try to um, present the message and the service in such a way that it's a special invite opportunity so that our people know this is a day that I can bring my friends and, you know, um, more than most days, it's going to be a really big, exciting day and a very clear gospel presentation, that kind of thing. But we also try not to do anything too out of the ordinary. In other words, when, when people visit on a high visitor Sunday, we want them to kind of see who we are all the time on that day. So it's a little different perhaps, but for the most part, kind of what we always do. So. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. I've known this guy since we went to CBC together. I'm older than he is, yes. But um, I, I've always appreciated Brandon. He is one of the most introverted people I know. Um, but God has used him in a tremendous way. And I'm so thankful uh, that you're in our neck of the woods. And um, thank you for sharing. And uh, Troy, tell me you recorded this. Awesome. We're gonna we'll we'll be looking back at this because I think a lot of the things that that Brandon touched on this morning are things that we're looking at here, um, including the the Easter service. You know, um, we've always done a big pageant type thing, and this year. We're going to show people more of who we are every Sunday, and that's uh, so. Choir, yes, you will be involved in the Easter program, but it won't be the full program like what Dan's done before. That was a decision Dan made a couple months back. But thank you, brother, for being well, here, guys. We're going to take. Uh,